بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد So last lesson we covered hadith number five, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Man ahdatha fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fahuwa rad. Whoever introduces something into this affair of ours that isn't from it, it shall be rejected. That's a narration that is recorded in Bukhari wa Muslim. In the narration that, uh, in another narration reported by Imam Muslim, Man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fahuwa rad. Whoever does an action which is not from our affair, then it shall be rejected. So this narration here, as a quick recap, this narration here is an asl. What did Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad say? It is an asl concerning what? It is a foundational principle concerning what? Sorry? So it's for the, and it's a principle concerning measuring the external action. Determining the validity of external actions, of actions externally, as far as they are concerned, externally. Which is the hadith by which, uh, which is the hadith which is an asl in measuring actions internally, in determining the validity of an action inter- internally, whether an action is valid or not, as far as the internal aspect is concerned. The first hadith that Imam al-Nawi collects, which is in al a'mal bin niyat Actions are by the actions are by intentions. So we said that there's two uh, narrations collected here by Imam al-Nawi. The first one, let's pay attention to the wording, because the next question is about the wording. The first one, whoever introduces something into this affair of ours which is not from it, it shall be rejected the second is whoever does an action which is not from ours, then it shall be rejected so what's the difference between the two, what did Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad say concerning this, what did he say concerning the second wording the wording within which the messenger said man amila amalan Whoever does an action which is not from our affair. Abd, uh, Yunus. Yes. So the second one is broader in meaning. It is more all-inclusive in meaning. How? The first wording says whoever introduces. The second wording says whoever does an action. So could you elaborate upon it? Second one includes the first one. The first one person may say implies just the one who devises the innovation himself uh, devises the innovation uh, and himself he puts the innovation together makes the bid'ah but now we have another wording which shows no the one who devises the innovation and likewise the one who does the innovation i.e. he follows the innovator, he calls to the innovation, he follows the innovator, even though he himself isn't the one that devised the innovated belief, the innovated practice in the first place himself. That is what the second wording indicates, that, it, that it's, uh, it's more broad. and It's more inclusive. It includes the one that devises the innovation, and likewise the one who follows the one that innovated. 
lastly, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin, he said that this hadith has a mantuq and a mafhum. A mantuq, a, uh, a, a verbalized intent or a, a, an explicit intent. There's an explicit intent in the hadith. There is a mafhum. There is an implied intent in the hadith. There is a meaning that is implied, not said in words, but it's implied. So what is the mantuq? Obviously the mantuq is... Yahya? Oh, Yunus? Ahmed? Hmm? Yeah, so the mantuq is just the obvious wording that whoever does an action which isn't from, which isn't legislated, then that's rejected. It's not accepted. And what's the mafhum of that? What is the opposite intent of that? What is the implied meaning behind that? Legislation. Yeah. 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 Then it'll be accepted. So the mafhum of it, the opposite uh, opposite intent of it, or the implied meaning of this uh, narration, is that any action that is in accordance with the Islamic legislation, obviously, with the condition that you do it sincerely for Allah, then it's accepted, and it is accepted. So that is uh, the eight parts to Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad's explanation. Part number nine, the final part, part number nine, is just a summary of the benefits. So the first uh, point that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin mentions is Tahrim al ibtida' fi al-Din. This hadith indicates the prohibition of innovating. In the religion, anybody that wants to come along and innovate a creed, uh, a belief into the religion, innovate an act of worship into the religion, and this, this hadith clearly shows that that is impermissible. That innovation in the religion is imp- 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 impermissible. Number two, أَنَّ الْعَمَلَ الْمَبْنِيَ عَلَى بِدَعَةٍ مَرْدُودٌ عَلَى صَاحِبِهِ the action that is based upon an innovation is rejected. That it's rejected against the one who did the action. The one who did the action, his action isn't going to be accepted. Number three, that nahi necessitates fasad. This is a principle from the principles of Usul al fiqh. That nahi fasad. If something is prohibited and you still do that particular matter that is prohibited, then that, prohib- then that action that you uh, 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 perform is considered in- invalid. It's considered invalid. Like the example that we gave last week of the person who did the business transaction. He did the business transaction, but the business transaction wasn't based upon the Sharia guidelines of how to perform that business transaction, or uh, yeah, that transaction. That transaction. Does anybody remember the story? Does anybody remember the story that we gave? Or that Sheikh Abdul Hussein Abad gave? The worker. Father. The, the, yeah, the worker. There was a worker and he engaged in uh, illicit relations with his boss's wife. And the boss went to some people who didn't have knowledge. 
So these people who weren't that educated about the halal and the haram and the punishments, the prescribed punishments, they said that the boy needs to be stoned to death and that the woman, she needs to be lashed and exiled. The father of the worker, the father of the man who committed the act, didn't want his son to be stoned. So he gave a hundred sheep. What else did he give? Anybody remember? A maid. Excellent. Yeah. He gave, so he gave a hundred sheep and a maid uh, as a substitute for the, the stoning. So he gave a hundred sheep and a maid to the, father, to the husband of the woman who committed the act with the, with the man. He gave a hundred sheep and a maid to his son's former boss. Then what happened? And then they went to the Prophet ﷺ. They asked for his advice. So yeah, so so he said that the uh, uh, the um, the sheep and the jaria, the maid, mardudan ala alik, they are to be returned back to you. Yeah, they meant to be returned back to the father of the of the man that committed the illegal uh, illicit act okay so that therefore indicates that that particular transaction that took place between them because it wasn't in conformity with the sharia rules and regulations it wasn't in conformity with the sharia principles of transactions because based upon the sharia it was considered uh, haram and therefore it was considered invalid it was considered invalid number so that's one print that that is uh, point number three and the nahi yaqtadi al-fasad the prohibition it necessitates al-fasad yani the invalid uh, nature of that particular matter that was performed whether it is a whether it is a transaction or whether it is an act of worship in point number five we'll, in point number four uh, we'll mention an act of worship an act of worship which is performed in a prohibited prohibited manner and thus it is considered invalid. So point number three was just a general qaida. It's a qaida from Usul al-Fiqh and the nahi al-fasad that nahi, a prohibition, necessitates invalidation. Number four, more specifically, and the amal al-salih idha utiya bihi ala ghayri al-wajhi al-mashru' katanafl fi waqt nahi bi ghayri sabab wa siyam yawm al-eid wa nahmi dhalika فَإِنَّهُ بَابِلْ لَا يُعْتَدُّ بِهِ So point number four, specifically concerning a righteous deed. A righteous deed, an act of worship, a righteous deed. Not just, for example, a mu'amala, a transaction. Now even a, more specifically, a righteous deed that is performed not in accordance to how it's been legislated to be performed, then that thing is rejected. That thing is not accepted. That thing is invalid. So Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abad he gives two examples. For example, praying. Praying at a time when it is prohibited for you to pray. Praying at a time when it is prohibited for you to pray. 
If a person prays without a reason, for example, after Salat al-Asr, he prays without a reason, there is no need for him to pray it, then that act of worship is fasid. It is rejected. It is uh, invalid. Likewise, fasting on the day of Eid, is it allowed? It's not allowed. It's not allowed to fast on the day of Eid. So if you end up fasting on the day of Eid, is that fasting of yours valid? It is invalid. It's rejected. Why? Because Because that which is prohibited necessitates the invalidation of the thing that was practiced or done. Number five, So point number five, that regardless of what, regardless of the ruling, regardless of the ruling that a judge may give concerning a matter, that doesn't change the reality. A judge may offer, a, a judge may deliver a verdict, Concerning a certain matter, his verdict may not be in accordance to what to the reality, to the to, to the actual hukum, yani that, that 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 particular matter carries. That thing, his judgment isn't going to change the reality of the matter. If a mufti gives a fatwa concerning a certain matter from his own ijtihad because he's qualified to do so, and if he is mistaken. Then what? What did the Messenger say concerning it? He still gets one reward for his ishtihad. But the fact that he has offered, uh, he has delivered a verdict, and that verdict isn't the actual ruling, the true ruling, yani the valid ruling, then that doesn't change Baapin al Amr. That doesn't change the reality of the matter. Why? Because the Messenger said, Laysa alayhi amruna. Whoever does an action which is laysa alayhi amruna, not in accordance with our affair, then it is rad, then it is rejected. Number six, anna sulh al fasid, anna sulh al fasid baatilun, wal maqhudu alay, wal maqhudu alayhi mustahikun, mustahikun rad, kama fi hadith al asif. So point number six, just as is mentioned in the hadith that we. Uh, that we were referring to earlier, the hadith of the Asif, the hadith in Bukhari or Muslim, the hadith of the uh, young man who committed the illegal uh, act with uh, his boss's wife. In that hadith, the Messenger والسلام, told the person who gave the ghanam and the jariya, he gave the sheep and the, fee and the maid to the to the to, to the employer, he told him that that is to be returned back to you. This therefore indicates that a transaction which is uh, not legislated and that is invalid, and the merchandise or the property, the items that were taken on the basis of that illegitimate transaction that merchandise, that property, those items are to be returned 
they are to be returned back to the back to its original owner. So those are six brief points that Sheikh Muhammad uh, Abdul Muhsin Abbad he uh, gives to us from this hadith. طيب الحديث السادس the sixth hadith the sixth hadith the sixth hadith that is the hadith of Abi Abdullah and Nu'man ibn Bashir رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن الحلال بين the messenger said indeed الحلال the halal it is بين the halal it is clear وإن الحرام بين and indeed the haram it is بين it is clear وبينهما أمور مشتبهات لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس and between the two, between the clear-cut halal, the clear-cut haram, between the two are affairs that are mushtabihat, that are unclear, doubtful. Between the two are doubtful matters. Most of people, most people don't know them. They don't know the ruling concerning these unclear, doubtful matters. فَمَنِ اتَّقَ الشُّبُهَاتِ فَقَدِ اسْتَبْرَأَ لِدِينِهِ وَعِرْضِهِ So he who keeps clear from the doubtful matters, he who keeps clear from the doubtful matters, then he has cleared himself concerning his deen and concerning his honor. The one who refrains from, keeps away from, keeps clear, clearly away from the doubtful matters, then he has cleared himself concerning his deen and concerning his honor. وَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ The messenger continues to say, He who falls into the shubuhat, the doubtful matters, the unclear matters, then he has fallen into the Haram. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam continues. Karra'i yar'a hawla al-hima yushiku an yarta'a fihi Like the ra'i, like the shepherd who is allowing his cattle to graze hawla al-hima allowing his cattle to graze Around the, the hima. The hima are the, that pasture that the king, for example, or anybody besides the king, has reserved. That pasture that the king, that piece of land that has got fertile yani soil and fertile yani grass on it, that he has uh, 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 prohibited anyone else from using it. Those are the boundaries that the king has set around this particular pasture. Nobody else can approach it. So the messenger said, Like the ra'i that allows his cattle to graze at the guarded, uh, guarded yani pasture, the, um, yani, the prohibited, protected pasture. Yushiku an fihi. He's going to be on the verge of indulging in it. 
He's going to be on the verge of indulging in it. There is some grass, there is some grassland, there is, some, there is a field. Now there is a boundary beyond which is the pasture that has been protected by the king. The ra'i, the shepherd that allows his cattle to graze near the edge, graze near that protected sanctuary of the of the king, he's going to be the shepherd. He's going to be on the verge of indulging into it. Allah, the Messenger والسلام, continues. Allah wa inna li kulli malakin hima. Allah wa inna hima Allahi maharimuhu. Indeed, indeed, belonging to every king is hima. These Protected pastures, these sanctuaries. Allah wa inna hima Allahi maharimuhu. Indeed, the hima of Allah are his maharim, are his prohibitions. Don't go near the prohibitions of Allah. Just like the king has his hima, and the shepherd shouldn't go near them. Likewise, Allah jalla wa ala, he has his hima, that protected sanctuary. That say that guarded pasture that you're not meant to approach. What is the hima of Allah? His maharim. Those things that he has prohibited. Allah. Wa inna fil jasadi mudghatan. Indeed, there is in the body a mudgha, a, a morsel of flesh. Ida salahat, salah al jasadu kulluhu. If it is sound, if this morsel of flesh, if this piece of flesh inside of your body is sound, then the whole body is sound. وَإِذَا فَسَدَتْ فَسَدَ الْجَسَدُ كُلُّهُ But if this piece of flesh inside of your body is corrupt, is foul, then the whole body becomes foul, the whole body becomes corrupt. أَلَا وَهِيَا الْقَلْبِ Indeed, it is the heart, this piece of flesh in your body. It is the heart, the hadith being recorded by Imam Bukhari and Muslim. So, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation to this hadith is divided into six parts. Part number six itself being just a summary of the benefits. So, part number one. Part number one, فيه تقسيم الأشياء إلى ثلاثة أقسام. In this hadith, Things have been divided into three categories. Number one, al-halal al-bayyin, the clear-cut halal, the clear-cut halal, evidently halal, evidently permissible. Like, for example, um, grains, fruit. like the uh, meat of cattle as long as it is the case that these things you acquire they, they reach you and you get them not in a haram manner so you don't get the grains, the meat the uh, fruits via a haram prohibited manner and these things are clearly haram uh, clearly halal that's the first category. The second category, al-haram al-bayyin. 
those things that are clearly haram, clearly prohibited. Like for example drinking alcohol. Or like for example eating dead meat, yani a carcass. Or the marriage to the mahram. These are some examples that the Shaykh he says concerning them. Yani these two categories, these two categories, the clear cut halal, the clear cut haram, everybody knows them. Everybody, whether they are educated people or uneducated concerning the Islamic rulings. Everybody knows that. Drinking alcohol is haram. Eating pork is haram. Everybody knows that. Apples and dates, they're halal. Everybody knows that. Sheep, so it's halal for you to eat. Everybody knows that lentils and kidney beans, they're halal for you to eat. So you got category number one, which is what? What is category number one? Clear cut halal, category number two. Clear cut haram. So category number three, Al Mushtabihat Al Mutaraddidah Bain Al Hilya Al Hurmah. Those things that are doubtful, those things concerning which a person is unsure whether they are halal or whether they are haram. Yes. Uh, from, what, from what is zahir, no. Why? Because that there, that is just an ikhtilaf at tabad, um, contradictory difference of opinion. Concerning those matters, a person is meant to adopt the opinion which he considers to be, upon, to be the truth. Okay? So, it's not, he's not doubtful. For example, a person, he says, you know what, I have full certainty that the one who, uh, uh, for example, abandons a salah, he's a disbeliever. I know that, for example, um, Imam Abi Hanifa, or from the contemporary scholar Sheikh Muhammad Nasiruddin Albani, that they said that the one who does that, that the one who abandons the prayer, he isn't a disbeliever. I know that they've said that, that but me personally, I have got yaqeen. With the evidence that have been presented to me, I, I, I'm convinced of that. So it, it doesn't doesn't really fit into that category. This is most in relation to where the per. This is, yani, when it's, subje it's subjective. It's the person himself is unsure. Is it halal? Is it haram? It's regardless of whether or not there's a difference of opinion. Say that again. Yeah. There's two, for example, there's two verdicts. One sheikh has given this uh, verdict. Another sheikh has given the other verdict. He doesn't know which one. He doesn't know which one is. Uh, which one is closest to the truth? Are you with me? In that, in that particular scenario, that is when he's meant to take the option which is, yani, which is um, safest. Are you with me? Yeah? yeah, because, why? Because it's now, it's, so you're going to have to, so the fact that there's a difference of opinion is separate. The fact is that you are doubtful. You're doubtful whether or not such and such a scholar's verdict is correct or the other scholar's verdict is correct so in that scenario you're going to take the one that you you feel is yani, uh, the safest option i.e. not making wudu again basically are you with me yeah 
regardless of whether there was difference of opinion. Let's just say, for example, there wasn't difference of opinion in the matter. Are you with me, yeah? But you're doubtful, or, you know, I'm not too sure, what's the, what's the ruling? Because, you know what, I'm just going to be on the safe side, for example. Or, uh, 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 but now let's just, let's just flip it now. There's difference of opinion on the matter, but you are convinced that that particular fatwa that says that it is per permissible to make wudu, and you, you don't have to make wudu after it, you're convinced of it. Khalas, then you don't enter into that category. Because it is, why? Because as the Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says, are you with me? Yeah? So some people, yes, some people don't know it, but that doesn't mean that not uh, that doesn't mean that so most people don't know the ruling, but that doesn't mean that some people don't know it. So for example, if it's the case in this particular scenario where you've got a verdict which says you have to make wudu after you've eaten camel meat, there's another verdict which says you don't have to make it and the evidences that are presented from that particular fatwa they are much more convincing you're convinced with them then now it's not doubtful to you are you with me yeah so the fact that there's a difference of opinion isn't really related to it it's about whether or not you consider it to be clear cut whether you consider it to be halal or haram or not are you with me yeah so yes yeah, so here Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abad he says وَهَذِهِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا كَثِيرٌ مِنَ النَّاسِ وَيَعْلَمُهَا بَعْضُهُمْ this third category, you're going to say something? This third category are those matters which are the person is wavering. The person is uncertain whether it is halal or whether it is haram. These type of matters you'll find on the most part people don't know. People don't know. They enter into this category. Well, is it halal or is it haram? However, Sheikh Abdul Masul Abadi says, most people, they don't know. Is it halal or is it, haram? is it haram? But then there are some who do know. There are some who are acquainted with a particular ruling. So that is, point number, that is part number one. Part number one. There are three categories of people concerning the halal and the haram. Very simple, very easy question now. What, who can relate back to us those three categories there are as far as what is halal and what is haram people can be divided into three categories what are those three categories if you want to give the answer then please put up your hand somebody that's above the age of 12 or 13 you got three categories of people Three categories of people concerning halal and haram. Okay, or you got or, or halal and haram divided into three matters, three categories. We will let Abdul Ghani, Ammar. We, we will let Ammar start you off. Three, three, three categories. Category number one: halal al-bayyin, the clear-cut haram, halal. Everybody knows knows it's halal. For example, drinking water. For example, uh, eating apples. One more, eating bananas. He said that with a lot of passion there. You must love bananas. That's category number one. Clear cut halal. Category number two. Category number two. Category number two, 
Clay-cut haram. Clay-cut haram. Who can give some examples of something that is clay-cut haram? Eating pork. Drinking, yeah, khamar, yani wine and alcohol. Smoking, smoking. What else? Something else that the Sheikh mentioned. Drugs, intoxicants. There's another example that the Sheikh mentioned. Getting married from the maharim, marrying the uh, maharim. Something else? Dead meat, carcass, right? All right, so that's two categories from the three. Number one, al-halal al-bayin, clear-cut halal. Number two, al-haram al-bayin, clear-cut haram. What is the third category? Third category. Ah, Suleiman. Doubtful matters, right? Meaning the person himself is doubtful concerning it. All right, it's nisbi, it's relative. Right? It's relative to the person himself. He is doubtful. His father might not be. His son might not be. His teacher might not be. He himself is doubtful. It's Amrun Nisbi. He's doubtful. Is it halal or is it haram? Tayyib. Yeah. Does the lack of knowledge lead to it? Yes. Lack of knowledge obviously would lead to it. Lack of knowledge would lead to it. That's why, as we'll come to know in the explanation, you know, up until you don't know the permissibility of it, better to keep away. Better to keep away. Come on. Like many things, many things perhaps we, uh, those of us here, we didn't know whether it was halal and haram, right? We didn't know whether it's halal and haram. For years perhaps we kept away from a certain thing. Because we didn't know, is it halal, is it haram? Then later on, when we studied something, or maybe we heard some rulings from the ulama, ah, it's clear, it's halal, okay, khalas. And then that was it. Okay? Certain sweets, I remember, certain sweets for years, for years, I wasn't touching them. From childhood until adulthood, not touching them. And then I heard some fatawa, Looked at the evidences, and then after that, class, the, <laughs> the news agents do it. <laughs> anyway, point num- that, was, that was number one. Uh, number two, number two, part number two. I want to finish this today. I want to finish this uh, hadith today. So let's go on with it. Point number, uh, part number two. Um, that is concerning... Naam. That is concerning the part of the narration when the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam said, So he who keeps away from the doubtful matters, then he has cleared himself. He has cleared himself concerning his deen and concerning his his ird, his honor. Until the end of until the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam says, um, until he says. Indeed, the hima of Allah are his prohibitions. So, this is the bit that we're focusing on right now. So, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he says concerning this, وَفِي ذَلِكَ السَّلَامَةُ لِدِينِهِ فِيمَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ 
والسلامة لعرضه فيما بينه وبين الناس فلا يكون لهم فلا يكون فلا يكون لهم سبيل إلى النيل من عرضه بسبب ذلك. So now as a result of you keeping away from the matters that are doubtful you have safeguarded yourself as far as what is between you and Allah is concerned you've taken the safest option as far as between you and Allah you've safeguarded yourself between uh, concerning what is between you and Allah and likewise you've safeguarded yourself concerning what is between you and people and thus nobody is gonna have an excuse to perhaps uh, uh, criticize your honor or take from your honor or to blame you for having approached something that is uh, dubious or unclear. وَإِذَا تَسَاهَلَ فِي الْوُقُوعِ فِي الْمُشْتَبِهَاتِ قَدْ يَجُرُّهُ ذَلِكَ إِلَى الْوُقُوعِ فِي الْمُحَرَّمَاتِ الْوَاضِحَاتِ And if it is the case that a person does end up doing those things that are unclear not too sure whether or not it is halal or haram if a person does end up doing those unclear uh, uh, doubtful things then that could lead him into falling into those matters that are clearly haram <clears throat> so in this narration the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam he gave us an example the example of the, the shepherd. So just like the shepherd who is uh, allowing his pasture, his, uh, yani his cattle to graze in the fields. If it is the case that he takes his cattle towards the boundaries of, the, of his field and then attached to the boundaries of the field, right next to the boundaries of that field is the pasture that has been protected by the king, for example. He said that anybody, the king has said, anybody who allows their cattle to graze in this particular hima, this protected pasture, this protect, protected pasture of mine, then he's going to be penalized. He's going to be penalized. So now imagine a shepherd, he takes his cattle, grazing in his own field, but now he takes him to the edges of his field. What is right next to the edges of his field? The, the hima, ewa, the king's pasture. What could happen? Imagine you've got 20, 30 sheep grazing near the edges of your field. Right next to the edges of your field is the king's field. And you're not, you're not allowed to, to graze in there. What's, what could happen? Ah. The sheeps could end up Grazing in the field of the king. What's going to happen to you now, Mr. Shepherd? Oh, you can Killed. <laughs> Dep depending upon which country you're living in. <laughs> but let's just say you weren't living in a country where the uh, penal code was that strict. Imagine you were living in a country where they didn't have such strict penalties. Maybe you'd face a fine. Okay, maybe imprisonment, and maybe if you're li living under a, an extremely despotic and cruel, tyrannical dictator, maybe he might be killed. But uh, very unlikely. But point being is that you're going to face some type of 
uh, punishment as a result as a result of allowing your sheep to graze near the boundaries of your field right next to the field of the king your sheep end up wandering off grazing in the field of the king and you you don't even know you don't even realize and your sheep is grazing over there so in a similar fashion Allah Jalla wa'ala he has his hima he has his yani the sanctuary he has his the yani the the hima yani the the pasture the, the, the pasture that is prohibited the pasture that is safeguarded the pasture that is protected you can't approach it what is the hima of Allah the haram matters the haram matters those things that Allah has prohibited so now if you end up if you end up doing those things that you're not too sure whether or not it is halal or not whether it whether or not it is haram or not if you end up doing those things if you end up indulging in those things that are maybe haram then that could lead you to falling into haram while your heart doesn't realize just like the shepherd takes his sheep near the prohibited boundaries allows his sheep to graze near the prohibited boundaries and then his sheep may end up indulging in the prohibited pasture itself while the shepherd's heart doesn't realize part number three so that's part number two uh, part number three part number three is the fact that in our body is this mudgha what's a mudgha No, there's a, uh, something else. Piece of flesh, how big? The word mudra, the word mudra we've discussed before. How big is a mudra? Obviously the mudra that is in a human being's body doesn't necessarily have to be there. Uh. Mouthful. It is the size of a mouthful. That is what the word mudra literally means. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, however, in this hadith, he is referring to a specific uh, portion of flesh. And which portion of flesh is that? Uh, the heart. This hadith, how, therefore, it highlights the great importance of the heart. And that the heart is the king of the organs. The heart is the king of the organs if the king of the organs of the human body is sound then the rest of the body is going to be good righteous sound if the king of the human body the king of the organs of the human body is corrupt it's foul it's wicked then likewise the rest of you your body is going to be foul it's going to be corrupt going to be wicked that's part number three part number four part number four Imam al Nawawi himself he says concerning the statement of the messenger فَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ whoever falls into the doubtful matters then he has fallen into the haram Imam al Nawawi when he himself made commentary of this hadith he said concerning this point that this Falling into the doubtful matters means falling into the haram. 
Well, this is this carries two meanings. This, this carries two meanings. Number one, that a person ends up actually committing the haram while he thinks it's halal. Okay, the messenger said, whoever falls into the doubtful matters, then he's fallen into the haram. What does this mean? Imam al-Nawi, he mentioned two things. Number one, it can mean that the one who falls into the haram, he falls into the haram, but he thinks that he's doing the halal. As a result of him having done the doubtful matter, having done the doubtful matter, as a result of that, he ends up falling into the actual haram thing. Thinking that it is halal, not, not, not believing it to be, not knowing it to be haram. That's the first potential meaning that it carries. The second potential meaning is that he is close to falling into haram. It will lead him to falling into haram. It will lead him to falling into haram. As it is said, Al-Ma'asi Barid Al-Kufr. Al-Ma'asi Barid Al-Kufr. Sins are a... Sins they lead to disbelief. Sins they lead to disbelief. Don't be... Uh, 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 يعني, don't be laxidaisical. And don't be uh, 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 يعني, complacent concerning sinning against Allah Jalla wa'ala. Why? Because sins can lead to kufr. Sin can lead to disbelief. A person should not sit, say to himself, Alhamdulillah, you know, I've been guided to the sunnah. I know who the true scholars of our era are. I know who to take the knowledge from. And Alhamdulillah, I've got, I believe Allah is above the arsh. I believe, I say, radiallahu anhum concerning all the sahaba and so on and so forth. My aqeedah, my aqeedah is aqeedah sunniya salafiyya. It's an orthodox creed. And obviously I've got these sins that I, that I, you know, I just, I'm, I'm weak. I, I can't let go. But no problem, I'm still Salafi, I'm Sunni. No, a person shouldn't have that mentality. Why? Because sins, they can lead to disbelief. What's the proof of that? One proof we'll mention from Surah Ali Imran. From Surah Ali Imran, Ayah 112. Concerning Bani Israel. Concerning the, the people of Israel, Allah Jalla wa'ala said concerning them, ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ يَكْفُرُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَيَقْتُلُونَ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ بِغَيْرِ حَقِّ That is because they disbelieve in the ayat of Allah and they kill the prophets without right. They unjustly kill the prophets. They so Allah says concerning Bani Israel that they disbelieved in the ayat of Allah and they killed the prophets. Why did they do, do this? What caused them to do this? Allah says after that, ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْا وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ That is because they عَصَوْا They disobeyed. They disobeyed, they sinned, and they used to transgress. Therefore, this sinning and this transgression 
is what led them to disbelieving in Allah and killing the prophets of Allah. This therefore clearly shows a person shouldn't take sinning lightly. A person shouldn't take sinning lightly. And the second example that Shaykh Abdul Masih Abad he mentions is the hadith of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam May Allah curse, the Messenger said, May Allah curse the thief who steals an egg and thus his hand is cut off. Steals a piece of rope and so his hand is cut off. What does this mean? The ulama explain this hadith. Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abad he mentions that he goes, he steals a an egg and a rope, and that slowly, then that gradually leads him to actual theft. That theft as a result of which a hand is cut off. Huh? And Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Ubaz rahimahullah, he said concerning this hadith, meaning a person steals something that is small. Something that is small, something that doesn't warrant the punishment of having the hand cut off. There is a certain amount beyond which if you steal, then your hand is cut off. Less than that, the hand isn't cut off. But Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Ubaz, he says that this is in reference to the one who steals. He commits the act of stealing, ste stealing something small. But then that leads him to stealing something bigger and bigger and bigger until he steals something as a result of which his hand is cut off. Meaning, the sin that you commit initially, that is going to lead to another sin. And that could lead to another sin. And to a sin that is worse than that. And so on and so forth. Up until it could reach and take to kufr. So that is part number four. That is part number four of Shaykh Abdul Mahsin Abbas's uh, six parts to, the, uh, to this hadith. Inshallah ta'ala, we will complete the explanation to this hadith next week and then go into hadith number six and number seven and complete hadith number seven insha'Allah ta'ala next week. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ma'ala nabiyyina muhammadin walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.